The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of CPR Unplugged. I'm your friendly neighborhood therapist, Stephen Marshall, and I'm blessed to be joined today by a very special guest, Martha Cooper. Martha works at CPR as an SMI evaluation scheduler. She's passionate about behavioral health and helping our most vulnerable community members, especially those afflicted by mental health conditions. So Martha, are you ready for the spotlight? I'm ready. <laughs> Very good. I need a little more enthusiasm. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. <laughs> That's what we needed. Okay. So I thought I would start off our conversation today by asking a few questions about yourself, really, and, and how you became a CPR in, how you became part of the, the family here. Um, well, it was still pretty small when I got hired. I don't even think we had an HR department. Whoa. Cheryl. So, so who was me. doing your interviews? That's Juliet interviewed me. Oh, and wow. then um, Cheryl had me fill out the paperwork Tom, with Tom. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And then I got checks to go get my fingerprint card and all that good stuff. Like yes. back, when, back when checks were pretty regular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so to the, the people listening, it's uh, Tom is our, is our founder. So you were in at the ground level. Yeah. Yeah. Back when we had the Scottsdale office where the power went out all the time. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So that's uh so you're putting up with and, and figuring it out with everyone else. So you you've been with the company for a little while. How long exactly have you been with us? Uh January of 2014. Fantastic. Excellent. And did you always know you wanted to go into behavioral health, or is that something that you sort of fell into? Some people they, you know, they say, hey, this is my passion and I'm gonna pursue this. And other folks kind of, they have an encounter with uh, the behavioral health field and they're like, whoa, this is right for me. What what was your story with that? Well, I actually went to school to be a video editor and I was working as one for a little while. And then we, I worked for Arizona Highways Television and I was, a, I was an assistant. I was, you know, not in charge of anything. <laughs> Very new, freshly graduated. And uh, then our funding was cut and I was left let go. One of the producers was let go. One of the other main editors, the sound wow. mixer was let go. The shooting schedule got cut in half. It was, it was, you know, it was a bummer. And yeah. I was, uh, didn't piecemeal work, but not really getting anything. And then I had a friend, Kelsey from high school and she was working at Magellan mm -hmm. and somebody had just quit and she asked if I wanted to apply for a customer service role there. And nice. I applied and I got the job and I was working there for about three years. And uh, Louisa, who works with me in this department, she sent me an email saying that CPR was hiring for the SMI screenings and uh, I applied and Julia liked me and I got hired. <laughs> wow. Excellent. So, so the um, time that you spent at Magellan sounds like it set you up well to be here with 
CPR, obviously, Magellan was, can you tell us a little bit about who Magellan was before you, you came to CPR? Okay, so before when you used to have access, um, mm -hmm. access Arizona's Medicaid program, um, Arizona Healthcare Cost Containment System, that's what ACCESS stands for, mm -hmm. uh, you would have your medical side and then you would call Magellan for anything behavioral health or substance abuse related. And they would give you the referrals to providers who took ACCESS. Um, so I became very familiar with all the general mental health, substance abuse clinics and SMI clinics. I also knew a bit about SMI beforehand as my mother and stepfather were in the system, the SMI system, but mm -hmm. I didn't really understand the technicality of it until I worked at Magellan and what it all, what everything did. Right, right. Okay, so Magellan, you you got a, a pretty great good framework for what was going on, and then you know, tell me, like, when you came over to do, were you actually doing evaluations or scheduling evaluations? Because I know I know your your title here is SMI scheduler, so. So what the heck is that? What what were some of the responsibilities that you had or or, or still have? Well, when to go back to Magellan for just a bit, what mm -hmm. would happen is a person would call Magellan customer service and they would request an SMI evaluation. I would get all their information, send over a form to CPR, and then CPR would call that person to schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, when Magellan was taken over by MMIC, they did not prepare for that so we had we had a rough start with them the customer service people there because they had to hire all new people it wasn't like before in in other times when a new behavioral health a regional behavioral health authority won the contract they would usually just absorb the people from the previous company mm -hmm. and and it would just be a rollover mmic didn't do that you had to apply to work mm. there so they had a lot of new people uh mmic also did not have a history with the mental health side and were unfamiliar with how to do certain things because not everybody who worked with that decided to go work for them if that makes sense yeah it, i think it does i mean we're, i'm hearing a lot of different you know acronyms and companies here and so it's it, it sounds like there was a big transition taking place essentially so because they were having an issue simply creating a form that had all the information we needed on it and accurately sending over correct referrals like they were sending referrals for kids you have to be 17 and a half or older to apply for the SMI program and they were just not an understanding what to do so gary who used to work uh in this department oh i can't think of gary's last name mm, i'm sorry he was great uh he uh decided that we should just be called directly and mm. mmic agreed and so now a client will just call us or um a provider will call us and then we will schedule the evaluation. And it's pretty simple. It's 15 minutes on the phone where we, you know, gather, you know, name and date of birth and address and schedule a date and time, ask mm -hmm. a few screening questions. And then the evaluation itself is about an hour and a half to two hours long. Um, we do them virtually now. We can be doing them in person. Uh, but since COVID hit in 2020, most of our evaluations are virtual now. Mm, okay, so so 
And did I mean, I have so many questions at this point, I guess, you know, SMI, serious mental illness, it's it's basically a, a chronic and long-term mental illness that um, impacts a person's ability to perform daily tasks, right? And, and so there are some members of the community who they, they really have a need to have more like wraparound services. Is that a good way to characterize it? Yeah, there's a lot of things that are available within the SMI program. Um, and your main thing is, it, I like to call it, mental health insurance you can't lose through the state Mm. of Arizona and through the state of Arizona is the main thing Mm. uh, because this does not transfer from state to state. Every state has their own, well, almost every state has their own program like this. Some you don't qualify for a higher level of care through like an interview process or an application Mm. process like Arizona does. Some it's more of a step up feature and uh, like you start off, you know, general mental health, and then your provider decides you need a higher level of care, and then they just recommend it. That's how some states do it. But for here in Arizona, you apply for the program. And then if you get approved, then you get a case manager, you get a clinic you're assigned to, a psychiatrist, and any services that the clinic offers plus medication management and it's all covered through the program with you know no out-of-pocket fees or anything like that it's all through SMI but it's also what I would also call a a super duper HMO so it's only covered if you are SMI and going to an SMI clinic so you wouldn't be able to go to your regular doctor and have it covered by SMI it would have to be an SMI provider Got it. Got it. Okay. So, so people apply to become SMI and to, mm-hmm. to be given this distinction essentially, or, or if that's the, if that's the right word. And once they are granted that distinction through the evaluation process, they have access to um, a healthcare network that will manage their behavioral health symptoms moving forward. And, and they can't lose it, at least within Arizona is what you're telling me. Right. So it's not like um, access or Medicaid where it's based off of income. It's based off of mental health need. Mm. So if you're doing better and you're working full time, and even if you have private insurance, you don't lose your SMI benefit. You can still go to your clinic. You can still see your providers and it's all covered. You know, would be kind of pointless for you for for them to say, oh, you're doing much better. So we're taking away everything that makes you much better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so, we got you stable, so good luck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not not a good idea. Yeah, not the best fit. No. So, so when people are applying, so who is who is it that is reaching out to you on a daily basis? Because it sounds like I, I would imagine, and I'm not sure, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine you would get calls from all sorts of people, um, yeah. from providers to community members. But, but sort of tell me, is there a is there a standard or a con- a common denominator in that or is it just anyone anyone can do this reach out anybody and... can apply um the, you know there's certain things we have to work with like if the client has a guardian there's paperwork that's needed mm-hmm. uh you know a child that's 17 and a half can't apply they wouldn't get their services until they were 18 if they were approved but the parent has to be involved in that mm-hmm. um but it can be anyone whose mental health provider thinks they need a higher level of care. They'll recommend them to call us and schedule. We'll get referrals from hospitals, from prisons, from jails. 
Um, there are the court ordered evaluations that happen. Um, and that's usually when it's decided that they need a higher level of care. And even if the client ends up not approving, get approved for the SMI program, they might end up with a court order treatment at a SMI clinic for a minimum of a year. Um, and then if they wanted to, they could apply again. And, uh, you know, if the client wants those services. Wow. So, wow. so you, you named everything, like, like from jails to doctor's offices to people in the community, you know, you're, you're fielding all of those calls. How many calls are you, are you getting in a day? Well, it's not always calls. Uh, now that we have Michael put together this awesome new system where you can go on our website and fill out a form and send a request that way, wow. uh, that's it's really cool. It, mm -hmm. It's very simple and they fill it out and then we call the client back. Um, hospitals can also send it that way. And what I like about it is you don't have to have a certain program to fill it out. You just go right onto our website, you click the link, you fill out the form and you send it. You just need an internet connection and a, a good a browser. Right. So, so I'm saying calls, but it really, it's just this referral network that you, that you're fielding these referrals from. And, and it sounds like you, you, you manage quite a few of them. Yeah. And, and we, go ahead. Oh, we all work together. Um, it used to be kind of separated, but now it's all of us jumping in with both feet. We all process the hospitals, the routine, which is, you know, when the client calls or wants to do it, you know, themselves or, mm -hmm. you know, the hospitals or the jails, we all process the referrals. Excellent. Wow. So um, when you're fielding these calls, um, is it a, or, or, handling these referrals, I should say, it, what does the process look like after you get someone scheduled? What, what happens? What's the next step? Well, after we get the referral, if it goes through our triage and not a call, uh, we call the client back to schedule. If the client calls, then we schedule with them over the phone. Um, we try to get them in within about a seven-day period. Hmm. And once the evaluation is completed, it's sent over to an agency called Solari. Mm -hmm. And they assign the client's uh, packet, all the information that we've accrued during the interview, they assign that to a psychiatrist there or a psychologist, and they review everything to see if the, the patient qualifies for the program. Now, you say, you say interview. I, I know a little bit more about this. Now, those assessments are pretty comprehensive, aren't they? They are. There's a lot of history that they delve mm. into. And I kind of loosely use the term designation because it's not a diagnosis. It's mm -hmm. an approval for a program. Mm. There are three major programs in Arizona that you can apply for. One is the Developmental Disabilities Program. And that a person can apply for as young as, I think, six months old. Mm. Um, and then there is long-term care, mm. uh, Arizona Long-Term Care. Altex. And that is for somebody who has a physical issue and they will not get better from it. Mm. Um, it. So, you know, cancer that's not, that's not going to go away or a um, like Lou Gehrig's disease or, or something to that uh, effect. Do we as a company help parse that out? Like if there's if we see something and we say, hey, you know, I don't know if this was the appropriate referral, 
but this may be, do we help connect those dots for people or? Oh yeah. We've gotten internal referrals before. That's what we call them. When mm -hmm. um, a long, long time ago, we would just get a call from in the middle of an appointment when somebody's in the middle of their therapy appointment with a therapist mm -hmm. and the client after them discussing it, of course, they wouldn't drop it in on them like that. <laughs> And then we would schedule like that. And now it's, as we're so big and have so many offices, we can't really do that. So we'll get a referral in mm -hmm. our triage or, and uh, we'll reach out to the patient and say, hey, your therapist thought this would be a good idea. Did you want to schedule? Mm -hmm. And then we'll schedule them for the appointment. Excellent. But yeah, we get a lot of internal referrals when it's necessary. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like you you and your team do a lot to help make sure people get to where they need to be. You know, that sort of, I, I did have an interest in something you, you had mentioned that your mom and your stepdad were involved in the SMI world somewhat. And so it is somewhat personal for you. Uh, mm -hmm. We had discussed briefly before you came on that. And, and I was wondering, are, are you comfortable sharing at all about what that experience has been like for you and, and your family uh, being in that SMI world and having, you know, clinics and, and case managers and um, uh, psychiatrists that are that are part of these networks? Well, I can I can say um, with my stepdad, his issues stem from he had a traumatic brain injury as a newborn, developed a seizure disorder and de and that led to mental health issues as well on top of that and his clinic was excellent he went to beth bethany village mm -hmm. which doesn't exist anymore what is it called now i think it's called like royal palm and they moved um but he went there for a very long time they were excellent at keeping up with his medications and everything mm. uh and having updates with him he 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 was liked by all the staff there when he passed away um his he was um when my mother passed away she passed a year before he did mm -hmm. he uh he had a big breakdown mm -hmm. and he had to be put on a on a cot a court order treatment mm -hmm. and his uh his act case manager which is uh, it's like a higher case manager. Uh, they do more home visits and things like that. Sure. Um, when he passed away, it was tragic. It was a car accident. He was crossing the street and there was construction. And I don't believe the other car properly saw him. Mm. He had bent down to pick something up. Oh, and I'm so sorry. Thank you. That was... That was like right after I started here. It was like mm -hmm. I got hired in January and then that happened in April. Wow. Yeah. Hit both his acts case manager and his regular case manager were just wonderful. Mm -hmm. They they helped out so much. He had a cat that I couldn't take at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh his act case manager was able to adopt the cat. Wow. They they were just amazing at his clinic. And when he had to go through um, the, uh, when you go into court order treatment, you're petitioned. Mm -hmm. There's a little, a little trial mm -hmm. in the tiniest, cutest little courtroom <laughs> ever at what used to be called Desert Vista, now is Valley White's Mesa. And 
the staff there was great too. It it was it made a hard situation a lot easier. Yeah, it sounds like they really cared about him, not just as a, a patient of theirs, but as a as a human being. They, it sounds like they they had a lot of love for him. Yeah, they showed up to his service and everything. Mm. They were they were wonderful. I really. I really, really liked them. And then with my mother, she had a case manager. When when she was in the SMI program, I, I didn't understand what it was. I was so young at the time. Mm-hmm. All I knew is that she was getting better and going to a place regularly instead of a bunch of different. She would change uh, therapists and agencies and stuff all the time. So I've, I've actually heard that before, that before someone gets the designation of SMI or they're assigned an SMI uh, clinic, that there is a lot of runaround. Like you maybe start some behavioral health medications and you become stabilized for a period of time. And then through whatever circumstances occur, you come off of the medications and, you, you know, you decompensate rapidly or you, you know, you do well for a period of time. And then, you know, some, some tragic event occurs and, and all of a sudden it's a, uh, it's a it's a quick road back to a to a really bumpy time in, in in life, and when the SMI system is in place, it acts as a firewall against those sorts of um, severe drop offs for people. Those, those really those those difficult periods of time that people go through. They there's like you said the the case managers who are reaching out and counselors who are more familiar and psychiatrists that are willing to stick with you for years instead of, you know, moving along after a couple of missed appointments or something like that. So it, it was that her experience. It sounds like a little bit, maybe. It, yes. It was. And it also has a lot to do with your access. There was a period of time where, you know, I mentioned before that my funding was, was cut at the, uh, uh, TV show that I was working on and it was because the governor at that time was cutting funding everywhere and when I was hired at Magellan you couldn't get access if you were a single male no matter how little you made wow and there were people that were they were just applying for SMI because they all of a, you get dropped you your access gets dropped you don't get your meds anymore there's no weaning mm-hmm. off you don't get your counseling services or your groups or your treatment. It's just gone. Your insurance is dropped. You're done. There's mm-hmm. no weaning off. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I like about the SMI program is that's not really, that's not how it goes. I mean, it, even if a client disappears, there's a navigator, there's outreach. People try to find you to get you right. back on your services so you can get help again. It's not the regular outpatient offices. It's, pretty much seen as you know you came here for services you decided to stop coming you're not in our books anymore right and that's it I think that speaks a little bit to the vulnerability of the population right so you have a population um, who maybe has a little bit lower resiliency during times when they're afflicted by their mental illness in ways that are that are intense and instead of saying okay we're closing the door on them it's we'll continue to pursue them or at least leave the door open so that when they are found or they are ready to come back they they have a soft landing and exactly. um yeah yeah that's that's fantastic I, I i i can't help but wonder um you know when you were uh when you were thinking about 
getting into behavioral health after the, the after the the uh, videographer career and 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 such did you know you were going to end up in a in in this sort of space and and um do you still feel passionate about it or do you, do you enjoy it I do I I never thought I was going to go this route at all and I I have to say that my passion comes from being upset when things don't work the way I feel they should. Like, mm. for instance, I feel like it should be easier to transfer a clinic if you don't get along with the the staff mm. there, if you don't mesh with them. Mm-hmm. I I feel as though anyone who's applying for the, who gets approved for the SMI program should also have access. I don't think that there should be that financial cutoff. I think they should automatically get it. Um, you know, I'm not writing the checks, but I, I know that if your physical health and your mental health are taken care of at the same time, I mean, a lot of the SMI population are terrible about checkups. Mm. They tend to pass away. I believe the last stat I saw was something like 15 years sooner wow. than somebody without seri- a serious mental Ill- illness, um, one of their designations, like uh, bipolar disorder is one of them, schizophrenia, schizoaffective mm. disorder, severe anxiety, mm-hmm. severe depression. You know, there's any, there's a lot of people that can be diagnosed with those, but they have family supports and they have their outpatient provider that works with them and they have those supports. There are people that are diagnosed with those things that have no one. And they Mm. need those supports. And those are usually the people that end up in the SMI program or get approved for it. They don't have help anywhere else. They need, they need a family. Right. For lack of a better term. Yeah. You you know, I think it's, that it's good that you bring that up because, you know, you, you, we sort of started this conversation sharing about some of the things within the SMI system that are working really well and then maybe these are some areas where there's some room for improvement as a community that we could strive for. I completely agree. I know that um, I feel as though some medical doctors, when they see the insurance, let's say the person does have the SMI coverage and they have regular access, when they see that SMI on there or the mental health diagnosis, I feel as though some of those providers don't take the client seriously when they mention their medical needs. Mm. Um, it's not everyone. And we are, it, it, every, as a community, the fact that we even are able to talk about mental health issues is leaps over what was going on in the 90s when I was growing mm. up. But there's a lot of stigma and I I don't appreciate it. Somebody <laughs> can still have, right. you know, say that my, there's issues with my heart and that doesn't mean it's a part of their mental illness. Mm-hmm. They can still say, you know, I, I, I feel tired all the time and it doesn't always have to be about their depression. There can be mm-hmm. other things going on. And I mm-hmm. think those people need to be taken seriously by the medicines that mm-hmm. they see, which a lot of SMI clinics now... I'm not sure about all, I know not all of them, but there's quite a few who have the space, have a medical doctor inside their clinics too. Mm. I'm not sure how many do now. My info is pre-pandemic. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure what's been reopened or what kind of space everyone has now. Sure, sure. There's, 
you know, it does, it sounds like, you know, battling stigma within the field is still something that's going on, but, you know, having an MD in these clinics and, and kind of taking that integrated care model approach is a, um, is one way to overcome it. Also just education uh, for, for folks about SMI, like what we're doing right now and, and your role can help dispel some of the, uh, the misconceptions about someone who has, uh, you know, a serious mental illness, but is, you know, still function quite well when they are when they're engaged and 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 stabilized with within these systems. Mm-hmm. So, um, really, really excellent point and 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 well said. You know, do you have any advice for anyone who's looking to get into the field or um, looking to provide support to uh, some of the communities that we spoke about? Well, a lot of the SMI clinics do have peer support groups. You can start off on that route. Uh, you can always just, you know, start off as customer service at a mm. regional behavioral health authority. It's, I know a lot of people who were customer service and then also going to school in the field mm-hmm. and then moving up that way. I've had so many people that I've worked with here that were in the regular outpatient field and now they're they've gone, got their degrees, they're licensed therapists, and they still work here. Right. There's quite a few, actually, that I'm thinking of right now. And we're all friends. I don't mm. know anyone here that I dislike at all. <laughs> CPR. Not even Max? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I love Michael. Everyone I'm- loves Michael. Everyone Man, he is the talk about the jack of all <laughs> trades. When I first started here, he was a sometimes evaluator. He was also IT. Yeah. Like we were, Drew was IT. <laughs> well, look, you know, that, I think that speaks to what you were sharing about it, to, you know, people are looking to get into the field or, or contribute in some way. You know, you were a, a video editor and, and, you know, we have folks who are in IT and, you know, and another life I did home inspections for a period of time. And, <laughs> you know, you, you think about those areas are, are completely unrelated and, and still found ways to contribute and become part of a, a something that we're clearly all passionate about. So, mm-hmm. That's excellent. Are there any exciting projects going on? Anything that you're working on here at CPR that you want to get the word out about or or that you're exciting about for excited about for this this coming year? Not not right now because the most exciting thing that happened already happened, which was the triage dashboard. Oh, yes. <laughs> the uh, the new way to That's apply it. for the program through the website. I that has made I, that one thing, being able to just go onto the website, fill out the form, and submit the referral, I just love that. Yeah, it um, sounds like it's been a, it's really streamlined the process and maybe taking some of the mystery out of it for people as well. And and they can just go to the CPR website and fill this out, right? It, it's a fillable form. It is. It is. It, it, you can fill it there, right there on the website. Um, and then there's. I just I I know we have a a nice group of evaluators. I can't say a mean thing about them. They're all mm. very sweet and good at their job and a lot of them have been doing this for more than 10 years. So Excellent. Yeah, so we have some great experience under us here. Yeah, and I I it's working very well and smoothly. I'm going to knock on some wood right now. There's really nothing else I can say. <laughs> well, 
But I think you, I, I, I think everything you did say, you said very well. And, um, and yeah, I think on that note as well, we found a good thing, place to sort of wrap things up here. Martha, I want to thank you for stepping into the spotlight. I know it's not easy firing questions at you, but you did very well. Uh, to all our listeners out there in listener world, thank you for tuning in. Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcast. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc., the intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support. <laughs>